chrysalis. We're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague, Ed Kless. On today's show, we are doing Free Rider Friday for the month of November, a week early, but we'll tell you why later. Hey, Ed. Hey, Ron. It sounds so weird, the new intro. It does. I kind of like it, though. Like you say, it's more like efficient. It. It's more efficient than shorter. Yeah. It's shorter. Um, but you're right. I, I do like the Thrive word. The Thrive word's good. I do, too. I do, too. That's good. But, um, yeah. So, wow, Ed, I, you know, let's just jump right to the most important thing. November 15th, Man in the High Castle dropped. And yes. I, I can't believe you've watched the whole I'm thing already. Done. You're done. I'm All done. 10 episodes. I haven't even started. I've uh, delayed gratification. I'm trying to restrain myself. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because, well, first off, I thought I, that I was going to be behind and that we were going to be in the reverse situation because right. it dropped while I was in Australia at the Verisage Symposium. So I was thinking, dang, I'm not going to be able to download it because I'm not in my country of origin or whatever. And, and, you know, and that wasn't an issue. Them. No, I wasn't. I don't know. For whatever reason, I didn't ask any questions. All I know is it, 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 it said that it came in and I'm like, oh, okay. It said, let me see if I can download it. Boom, boom, boom. So it downloaded all 10 episodes. I think I watched four or five of the 10 on the plane ride home, mm-hmm. which is another update, by the way, because we have to talk about, remember the Qantas thing that we right. had last time. So that's, a, that's, that's right. another thing. It's all related the to the, the whole Verisage symposium. Yeah. yeah the, the, but we'll get back to that. So, and then, then I just had to, I just had to finish it up once you, once you get that far in. And, but I, I will say it was, it was with a certain degree of melancholy that I watched the last two or three episodes. I, I, and I was even thinking, do I really want to do this? Cause I know it's, it's over after right. 10 episodes is it. It's done. Now, not big spoiler in saying that the world doesn't completely explode, so therefore there's always a possibility of like a future movie. Right. But I, I think it's, it's done. It's, it's done. done. So, yeah. It's done. My dad's and I, and I'm not, I don't want to spoil for you at, at all, yeah. so I'm going to shut up there. Yeah. Uh, my dad finished it too, so I, now I'm way behind everybody. So all right, so I'll call Sam this weekend, and we'll yeah, and you guys he and I'll have a conversation, chat about it. But uh, well, look, I I, um, I I zoomed into Verisage down under. I wasn't there physically, but you were. How was it? It was magnificent, as always. The biennial Verisage Symposium event, this time held in Melbourne or, and Geelong, I should say. The Verisage Symposium was technically in Geelong although we did have an event in Melbourne that was related to it a couple days before. But great minds. We had 70 people there, about a dozen or so TED Talks from non-fellows. I would say half a dozen TED Talks from fellows if you include the sessions that you did and I did and Tim did, which were extended. And it was just a fantastic event. 
I became the de facto sound guy. So Josh, our engineer, if you're listening, you would have been very proud of me. I was the de facto sound guy at this event because I was the only one who wasn't afraid of the board. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but uh, so it was really good. Uh, we, we, you were missed, Ron. You were definitely missed. But fact of the matter is, is that your dad and Janine were missed more. So we're paying for them. If there's a future event that you can't make, we've decided as a group that we're going to pay for them to come down. Excellent. With or without you. <laughs> yep. That makes sense. Well, uh, letting the cat out of the bag, we are talking about doing the next one in London, aren't we? Yes. Yes. We, we voluntold Paul Kennedy that he will be hosting the next one in the UK. He did not significantly push back, so therefore it's anointed. Yeah, he kind of said he. Yeah, he kind of said, "Yeah, no problem." So yeah, I, well, I think that's good because a couple things. I don't know if you're aware, but Qantas is now flying direct Sydney to London. In fact, that yeah. happened the day that we that I was down there, sitting in the in the Melbourne airport, and they announced that they had made it. I guess they flew like a hundred people down on the first flight for free because they wanted to test it. Right. And there's like, I, I might have this wrong, but they land with about 25 minutes of fuel left. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's a that's, little sketchy. That's, that's a little sketchy. Because <laughs> Air New Zealand's got that route too out of Auckland and um, it, it's a long flight. 20 hours, I think. Yeah. That, that Dreamliner, that's amazing. It is a Dreamliner, right? That is a Dreamliner. Now, yeah. let's get back and, and re we'll rewind on my Qantas story. So the, the yeah. first thing is, and I don't know if we did this on previous Free Rider or whether it was a bonus episode on our Patreon site. Episode. All right. See, so those of you who are on the, the, the Patreon site already know about this. The, so you, you, can, you can tune out for the first few minutes while I reset this up. But when I was... About two weeks before, week before, about a week before flying down to Australia, I get an email from Qantas saying, do you want to bid on upgrading from premium economy to economy? And they gave me this little sliding scale thing that I could put my bid in. So I'm like, all right, what the heck? So I, I, I bid on both of them, on, on both the going there and the return. And I think I did roughly, it was whatever the equivalent of 500 US dollars was, 600 and something bucks, I think $700 maybe. But I, I figured out what the difference was, said, yeah, it's worth it for 500. Well, I, there was some confusion with my flight going down. Instead of going Dallas to Sydney, I had to go rerouted through SFO. So that kind of basically mm. fell apart. Although I did get a chance to put the bid in last minute, but I, it wasn't accepted. So I did not, I did not get upgraded going from SFO to Melbourne. On the way back, I'm like, okay, first of all, and I think I told you this, but I had to go to a wedding the Saturday that I landed. That you got, that you, <laughs> that right, got back. That you got back. Right, oh, I landed, landed roughly noon, and we went to a wedding like at 5 o'clock. God. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was fun. You must have been but, dead. So I'm, so I'm thinking, so now I have even more incentive to put in for the upgrade because I've got this wedding that I've got to go to. And plus, you know, here's the deal. They're really smart. They let me bid on both of them. But once I got rejected from the first, it would, I can change my bid on the second. Yeah. On the is, second. Yep. So what I, what did I do? I, w I was going to go through a thousand dollars anyway. So what the hell I'll, I'll 
pop, pop this one up to a thousand dollars. And wouldn't you know, bang, got the upgrade. Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. the upgrade. Yes, I got the upgrade. Now, the t- it's interesting because the ticket price was significantly more. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. For business class, significantly yep. more. And but so I well worth it. I got some sleep. What watched Men in the High Castle with my feet up, drank a lot of wine, and got here and was was functional for the wedding. Wow, yeah, that's great. I had an experience in Chicago, Ed, with United that I've never seen before, you know, flying out of Chicago back to SFL. I mean, it's, you know, business route, basically. So the upgrade list was, you know, miles long, right? As you would expect. (laughs) Yeah. And they had like two seats available in first class. And rather than going through that upgrade list, they sat at the gate and auctioned the seat off. They said, we'll sell you a first class upgrade for, it was like 250 or 300, I forget, but it was reasonable. Mm, In fact, I was going to do it. Two people ran up there and beat me to it. But I was like, wait a minute. Why would they do that? I've never seen them do that. They usually just pick off the upgrade list. Sure. First time I've ever seen them auction it right at the gate. In fact, I bet that ticked off those people. It ticked me off because I was on that list. You were on one or two? You were one or two? I was two. And you didn't get it then. I didn't get it. See, that ain't right, man. They shouldn't I, do that. I, I don't know why they did it. See, the Qantas thing was completely unknown. It was completely blind yeah. auction. So you have no idea whether you're on any kind of list at all. Yeah. So I, this I, is fascinating pricing, though. And I, I, what I'm is. glad is that their people are experimenting. That's, that's the thing. I think that's but, what it all is. Yep. Yeah, I think your deal, though, that's not going to last un- unless they begin to hide the upgrade list and you don't know where you are on it. Right, and I so they're, they're going to have to take that. some. They're going to have to take something away. Right from us. Maybe they were running a test. I I don't know because I've never seen it. Now, what they could do, and I mean, and this is totally germane to our show here. What they could do is, what, what what's your upgrade window? Like seventy two hours, like as a one Ker. Uh, yeah, 48, 48 hours, or 72, 48. 48. whatever the window is, whatever right. the window is, yep. I, I could totally see them doing an auction up until that point. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, for sure. So if they know that they have seats, they know they're not going to sell them or feel they're not going to sell them. And that's, I guess, the risk they take, right? That somebody would come in and buy the seat last minute. Yep. So they'd have to weigh that. But you know, I, I could see them doing that. That could that could work. Like I, if you yeah. if it's before the upgrade window, I think that's totally acceptable. Right. The, the the only thing I can think of is everybody on that list. There was nobody that was a global services member. Oh, that's the yeah. The, the, you know the people that spend like forty fifty grand a year or whatever. Because mm-hmm. if it, had there been one of those on the number one or two slot, they probably would have got it. But mm-hmm. because I'm just a lonely, you know, million mile flyer, uh, one care, um, you know, that doesn't mean anything anymore. The one, well, yeah, the 1 million. Well, the, no, the one care, even the one care. Isn't that a hundred thousand miles a year though? It is. It's their top. That doesn't mean also. anything for United. Well, not compared to global service. Oh, okay. Global well, service it means, trumps everything. Means some, well, yes. And, and I, we have concierge key on American. 
Yeah. Yeah. It just, but, it just shows you, I mean, more people are getting status. So they're, they're, they've got it. They're probably just playing around with things because so many people have status. Yeah. Right. I mean, yep. I don't want to yep. give these seats away. They, it, it's, it, it's it's very interesting to me. I don't know. It is it is pretty interesting. But I'm glad um, you got it coming back. So that but yeah. that explains how you got five shows into Man and High Castle. <laughs> I would have <laughs> watched the whole thing probably. And I had to sleep some. I had yeah, to sleep some. True. So. All well, right. We're already up against it. So uh, folks, I'd like to remind you if you want to get a hold of Ed or myself, you can send us an email to ask TSOE at verisage.com. And check out soulofenterprise.com. We'll post full show notes. And now we want to hear from our sponsors. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And it's Free Rider Friday here on The Soul of Enterprise. And Ron, I think what we'll do is let's table the rest of the conversation about the Verisage Symposium to the bonus episode. Excellent. Just because, well, first of all, that'll give people reason to subscribe to the Patreon site. So patreon.com slash TSOE if you want to hear the our insights from the, the Verisage Symposium. But also because I know, as always, you are loaded for bear <laughs> and ready to rock and roll. So drop some free ride or Friday knowledge on me. Well, um, okay, I'm going to start with this one. Um, Let's see. Okay. LASIK eye surgery has been around for 20 years. Okay. Okay. Former FDA advisor, Dr. Morris, <laughs> now believes, who originally voted, by the way, to approve it, um, 
But he says, we've essentially, we ignored the data on vision distortions that persisted for years. He says, I've re-examined the documentation and said, wow, this is not good. This is Dr. Morris Waxler. And he now thinks it needs to be banned. Okay. Because he says complication rates for the procedure are between 10 and 30%. That has not been my understanding, but... And he said, many of the symptoms that participants experience, halos, dry eyes, starbursts, ghosting and glare. Of course, you you can also loss of vision, (laughs) um, which has always freaked me out about it. But uh, the first laser laser procedure was approved in 98, and the long-term safety and effectiveness is not known, he claims. So he wants to see it pulled from the market. Well, I don't think anything should be pulled from the market if the risks are known to the patient and they can make a decision for themselves on whether or not they want to continue. By the way, I think that's why they – don't they do one eye at a time for exactly this reason? I believe they do. I'm not sure. At at, at first, I know they did because I know I I had a friend friend that had it, and I think he's – still good with it i have to i have to check with him i'm still friends with him on facebook who's a college roommate of mine who had the procedure done in the relatively early days of it i will say this it's funny you bring this up because i have had no less than two conversations with people in the last two weeks including one of them in australia with someone who didn't have complications but it didn't stay didn't stay huh it didn't yeah yeah interesting yeah. so on the lost FD- Oh, they, they, it actually, did they, did they degrade? Well, it, it, it went back, I guess, to whatever, what it was, whatever vision was. Yes. Because on the FDA's own website, it says 95% of participants were satisfied with their vision after the procedure. But this guy's claiming. This was a year. This, so it was a year that this woman said that after a year, it was that her vision was lost. And there was, you know what? I'm trying to think. She also said it had to do with, with, uh, Things you, she got pregnant too, and I guess that is one of the things that you, that your your eyes change can change during pregnancy. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, I you know, it, it's tough. I mean, the FDA is there obviously to make sure that things are efficacious and safe and all of that, but it just seems if it's been there for twenty years and they have a ninety five percent satisfaction, uh, that's pretty good. Is it, and it's still not, if it's still 95% after several years after two, then I think that's even more important. I mean, I could get it that if two weeks after you're 95% happy, that's probably not enough data. I, again, it, not enough data to, to say that it's safe and effective long-term. I still think, well, I don't think there should be an FDA, but right. that's, that's beside the point. Uh, I, I do think that the numbers should be reported accurately so that people can make an effective decision for themselves. Right, right. Yeah, this is out of Fox Business, by the way, uh, just in case Greg's listening and wants to tweet this out. Uh, it was from a Fox Business News report. But just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Given our discussions of the FDA in the past. so Yeah, Fo- follow up on that. All right, my turn. Right, your turn. Well, you know, uh, this is probably in your stack. The response from our friend at Federal Express, 
right? The chairman, Frederick Smith, Frederick yes. W. Smith to the New York Times. I love yes. this. This was so great. Phenomenal. So apparently, I, I did not see the original New York Times article. Did you see nope. that? Refused so I only saw this response. Yeah. yeah, well, fish wrap, I know. And so I guess what they claimed is that FedEx had, had not paid income tax or had not paid enough income tax it, for, to, to satisfy the New York Times. Let's right. just, let's be real. Because it was offset by depreciation and higher taxes and assets, temporary deductions, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, Fred Smith just comes back and says, we take pride in paying our full share, not fair share, our full share of taxes, almost $10 billion in the last uh, five years. And then he looks, goes on to look at New York Times, which I thought was great. And it finds out that the Times paid zero federal income tax in 2017 on earnings of $111 million and only $30 million in 2018, which is 18% of their pre-tax book income. So in 2018, the New York Times cut their capital investments nearly in half to $57 million, which equates to, I love this line, a rounding error when compared to the $6 billion Brilliant. of capital that Federal Express invested in the U.S. economy during that same year. Final quote and the coup de grace. I hereby challenge A.G. Sulzberger, publisher of the New York Times and the business section editor, to a public debate in Washington, D.C. with me and the FedEx corporate vice president of tax. Crickets. We need a cricket. We need a cricket voice, uh, you know, sound effect here. Crickets. And and he'll never, ever do it. S T F. You <laughs> mic drop. Yeah. He pointed out in there, they $6 billion of investments, which they can write off immediately. He also, they also beefed up their employee pension. They made a, what was it? A million, a billion and a half or something to their employee pension funds. Evil uh, capitalists Ron. And you know, I think we talked about this offline, but NPR on point did a whole show. I had the one of the SEC commissioners on, who I think now needs to be fired. But they, they were saying, "Oh, well, these companies aren't using the money to invest in America. They're not using it to give workers higher pay or better benefits, better health care. They're using it to buy back shares." And there's a loophole in the law that the companies can do this and they don't have to tell the public and the investors about it. And he was ranting and raving about this. Um, and, and one of the things they said, and I can't believe this, if we're going to give these corporations the gift of these tax reductions and they should use the money to invest it in America. Gift. Like, hmm, a gift. Gift. And, and do we even want the SEC to do capital allocations? Now, he swore he was against that. He says, no, no, it's not the SEC's role is not to do capital allocation. Like, but, but we think we sh it should be used for these purposes. It sounds like capital allocation to me. There is nothing wrong with a share buyback. Nothing. You know no. why? Because it's private property. <laughs> but you know, Ron... And this, I just have to bring this story up, and I know I'm getting two in for one, but the this this is hand in glove with the Elizabeth Warren. Did you see the, see this? The, the we we can't have these freeloading billionaires, the freeloading freeloading freeloading. How do you even answer that? It, it's it, it. How do you even economic? Argue that? The economic is ignorance is so 
overwhelming. You can't. There's no place to go with that. Just absolutely zero to go. And all mm-hmm. it does is make people go, yes, yeah, Elizabeth Warren, she's going to like take from those billionaires, blah, 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 blah. You have no clue. You have absolutely no clue. Read William Nordhaus's paper or book, I guess it was, that won the Nobel Prize that talks about how the, 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 uh, uh, what is it? The financial capital that's actually taken by the company is what one forty ninth of yes. what's actually created in the market. Yeah, yeah. So I, translation for every billion you have, you've created probably forty nine billion in net worth outside your organization in for society. And no, that that we just shut that down. That can't be. But the numbers are there. Nordhaus supported it. He won the freaking Nobel Prize for it. I even even to argue is to even somewhat accept the premise. I, I just I. But you've got it. You've got to hit it with the the best argument. It's just absurd, though. It's such a lack of understanding of how wealth is created and. <sighs> How did somebody get to be a billionaire? They're just not sitting there clipping coupons. I mean, yeah, there's a, a segment of billionaires. I think it's like 15% that inherited it. You know, the Rockefellers, mm-hmm. the Walton, third generation, whatever. But the ma- vast majority on the Forbes 400, 85% last time I saw it was cre- self-created. Self-created, yes. Okay. And that is that it, that is an accurate number. I saw, I saw that number this week as well because it brought up. And by the way, that number is, guess what, over the last 30 years, up. Because up. It, it used to be 40%. It used to be 40% mm-hmm. on the list was inherited wealth. And I think Taleb, uh, Nassim, Nicholas Nassim Taleb uh, points out in, in Skin in the Game that in Florence, Italy, it's still like 90% of the people <laughs> the wealthy in Florence, Italy, from the 1500s. From the, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so uh, don't give me the genie coefficient line. Yeah, yeah, the I dream of genie people. Oh, geez. Oh, wow. <clears throat> you get you get me fired up, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> well, between that and the Fred Smith thing, this SEC commissioner who's like one in five, I'm listening to this guy going, "How did Trump appoint this guy? Trump appointed him. You know, personnel is policy." And got somebody like this with these with these views sitting on the SEC. Um, Ron, Trump Trump thinks that that tariffs actually hurt. I know, I know, <laughs> hurt, hurt I China. Know. <laughs> so what, why? How are you surprised by this? <laughs> I've never really heard his views on share buybacks, but uh, this guy was just going off on him. Like, well, and, and the translation, by the way, isn't capital allocation? Isn't that? No, truly, economic fascism. It's corporatism. Well, but you know, if you, if the government is telling you how you should allocate your capital, yeah, that's because my definition. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but economic fascism is the the direction of the the resources of production, yeah. right? Socialism yeah. meanings the ownership of production, ownership, the, yeah, right. Whereas direction. fascism is 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 at the direction of. I mean, I think we talked about this. Uh, it was one of our books last year, but the vampire yep. economy, yep. right? And and how they they directed Nazi Germany directed what everybody made. It was in Schindler's List. I mean, the whole thing. You it wasn't yes, you it was private companies, but you were told what to make, what to do, 
Yep. It, it's industrial policy on steroids. Right. You know, it's one thing for the Japanese Ministry of Trade or whatever to tell Honda, oh, stick to motorcycles, don't don't build cars, you know, mm-hmm. because Toyota have that figured out. So Honda stay they told Honda to stay out of it. Mm-hmm. And Honda went ahead and did it anyway. <laughs> and good turned out to be one of the most successful car companies. You know, not that Toyota and Nissan aren't, don't get me wrong, but there's room for Honda too. There's room for Honda. I've got two of them, so I know. Yeah, sure. I've got I've got their Acura, so mm-hmm. um, same thing. good stuff. All right, well, we're up against our second break, Ron. I want to remind you that the way to get a hold of us is the email is best at asktsoe at verisage.com. As you get near the end of the year, what we really love for you to do is go out and give us a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to the podcast. Those are like gold to us. We really like to read them. If you do have a review that you put on iTunes specifically, we will be sure to read it. If you put it on another platform, send it to us at asktsoe.com because we might not see it and we'll be sure to read that as well. But right now, a word from our sponsor. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're doing Free Rider Friday for the month of November. We know we're not the last Friday, but that's because, Ed, next week we are running uh, the best of. And it's Scroogenomics for Black Friday. One of my favorite episodes, Scroogenomics. Early, early, early in the show's history that we did that. And I I, I still think it's one of our better shows because the topic is so hysterical. And it is perfect for Black Friday, which is why you shouldn't buy Christmas presents. Basically, I think we came to the conclusion, give everybody cash or gift cards if you really want to go the extra mile. 
right? Unless maybe they're kids, because kids yeah, always know what kids, they want. Kids, you, yeah, yeah, you know, kids. But you when know. you get when you get get away from kids and your spouse, uh, you're 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 it's dicey, right? Yeah. You well, get the, Deepak, <laughs> the Deepak Chopra book or whatever is like, yeah, okay, great. Yeah. But I love that. That's one of my favorite lines of yours for your brother-in-law who you don't like. Is- right. <laughs> or, well, even if you like him, cause he's your brother-in-law. Well, this- <laughs> uh, all right. Ed, there's a new app out there, a new startup company called roadie out of Atlanta. I E R O D I E R O A D I E R O A D I E. Okay. Yep. Roadie. And you know, they admit FedEx will dominate the long haul routes, but by tapping into people's movements, these guys want to go the last mile, which is actually the most expensive part of a parcel's journey is that last mile to your house. Right. And so four fifths of their revenue comes from retailers such as Macy's Walmart, Home Depot airlines use roadie to deliver lost luggage. Alaska Southwest United have used them. Um, but they're also eyeing space. This is, this is, this is Michael Munger, his whole point about how entrepreneurs are lowering transaction costs mm-hmm. and developing all these new business models. These guys are, all, <laughs> they are eyeing the free space in traveler suitcase. So Piggy B, which is, your, yeah, listen to this. Piggy B, okay. this is another startup based near Brussels is linking consumers desirous of products only available or cheaper overseas with international passengers headed their way. So the buyer pays the product price and any relevant taxes and duties into an escrow account managed by the app, plus a tip to make it worthwhile. So, Ed, you're going to Ferris Age Down Under, and I say, I want you to stock up on Tim Tams for me, right? Even though mm-hmm. you can't get them here, Target. By the, if you're a Tim Tam fan, Target sells them. Um, in fact, I think they're one of the only places that have Tim Tams in the United States is Target. There, there might be others. Might be Whole Foods or somebody else caught right. one of them. But anyway, um, so can you imagine? And the app says we, you know, we're not saying to the traveler, tell the custom people this is for personal use. But he said, since we're under the radar, no one really cares. <laughs> but, but, but this is fascinating. I mean, they, you can get, you know, earn some extra cash when you're traveling, bringing stuff back for people. Yeah. That'd be a big thing with some of these new uh, tariffs coming on board for uh, yeah. Gotch and or what? What are they taxing? Whiskey or something? From I, I believe, the, yes, for whiskey, with uh, Scotch whiskey from from Scotland. Yeah. 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 By so, the way, I believe the proper term is mule, by the way, Ron. I think that's what <laughs> Yes, yes. They just put an app around it and make it sound respectable. Is <laughs> mule. But now, you know, uh, I only brought this up. The, the reason it hit me, it, it, it just it collaborates what Mike Munger is arguing in Tomorrow yeah. 3.0. This is, yeah. this is fascinating. Um, people sitting around thinking about this kind of stuff. Yep. No, and it's and it's great that they are. Again, the innovation continues to be what what drives this whole thing, and why, despite the fact that government seems to be gaining on it, I still think that the market tested innovation and supply still still is stronger. Thank God. Yep. All right, Ed. What do you got? All right. Let's see here, Ron. Let's let's uh, let's talk about the Pope. 
Okay, Pope Talk Francis. About the Pope. Pope Francis. So this is an article from the November 14th uh, fee uh, mm -hmm. foundation from e economic education. And the headline is, is that Pope Francis owes it to the poor to me be more informed about markets. So I think this is a job and a mission for our friend, father Sirico. Excellent. Yep. And so here, here's the deal. Uh, this is a Pope Francis most recent ill reading from the article. Now uh, ill, ill advised foray into economics occurred during his, his commemoration of the United Nations world day, speaking on the problems of global nutrition. The Pope said, quote, this is now quoting the Pope, the battle against hunger and malnutrition will not end as long as the logic of the free uh, logic of the market prevails and profit is sought at any cost with the result that food is relegated to a mere commercial product subject to financial speculation and with little regard for its culture, social and intended indeed symbolic importance. What, excuse me, Pope, what's the what? H E double hockey stick are you talking about? First of all, the lot, the free market, the lot mar markets don't have logic. It's, it's, it's not a sentient thing, right? It, the, the market is the sum of individual choices of billions of people. So I don't quite understand what he means by logic of the market. Second, Profit is sought at any cost. I, I, I just can't even begin to parse that phrase because profit can't be sought at any cost because by definition, if it were any cost, it wouldn't be profit. profit. <laughs> <clears throat> and I don't know about you, Ron, but aren't, weren't the, aren't we predicting that we would be starving by now? Ehrlichman yes. and the whole crowd. I mean, we should, there, there's we, not just people in, in emerging nations. You and I should be starving right now. Like, well, the UK wasn't supposed to be here. Yeah. I'd be gone by now. He had even money that it would be wiped out from mass starvation. Paul Ehrlich. So this, this article goes on to, to, to state, and I think it's really well stated, and those of you who are following along should read this, but it talks about how what the, the changes in poverty and how few people, how, how, what the fraction is now of the, those, those of us on, the, on Spaceship Earth here who are, are living on less than, less than $1.90 per day, and how that number has been ever decreasing, continuously decreasing, and and down to where it's under 10% now, which just is amazing. And that he really needs to buck up when it comes to economics, because it, uh, and quoting now again from the article, it took the church Catholic church 350 years to recognize and recant its de demonization of Galileo. The poor cannot afford to waste centuries for the church to recant its demonization of capitalism and markets. Functional markets have lifted billions of people out of poverty. Perhaps it's so obvious that only a pope cannot see it. But then the pope lives in a life of splendor and one of the greatest concentrations of wealth in human history. He owes it to those suffering in poverty to do better, to be better. Who was the author? Here, here. Uh, shoot, why is it not here? I'll click on the, the, the article okay. and tell you. No yeah. worries. No worries. But, but, you know, the Green Revolution alone saved so many people. It, it, this is just astonishing. It, it really, again, it's this, wow. it's the, the, the ignorance around economics just, just scares me.
really, really, really scares me. Uh, oh, Anthony Davies. Anthony oh, okay. Davies. Yeah. yeah. At a, I think he's out of Duquesne, if I'm uh, recalling correctly. Yes, Duquesne. Yep. Wow. Oh, boy. Pope Francis. Hmm. You got to have Father Sirico back on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Time, time for my confession some, again. Yeah, yeah. He needs to do some personal tutoring or something. <laughs> we need an intervention. Hotel Sirico. We need we need an intervention at the okay. very top. <laughs> I'll try and fit this in, Ed, in the next few minutes, but um imagine being Stanley Kubrick's personal assistant sitting outside of his office. Okay. You know Stanley hey. Kubrick. Yeah. And every now and then, every three minutes or so, you hear a thud up against the wall. He's throwing paperbacks. He's throwing, you know, um, scary novels uh, against the wall. He's reading, a, you know, reading them and not liking it, throwing it against the wall. And then all of a sudden, there's silence. And he's in there and he's reading The Shining by Stephen King. And... You know, it, when you look at The Shining, this is out of National Review, Kyle Smith. This is a great point. When The Shining came out in the 80s, in 1980, I think, I don't know if you remember this, but it was panned. And most people didn't know what to think of it, right? I do not remember it being panned, but okay, yep. People thought it was dull, a bore, declared David Starrett of the Christian Science Monitor, the worst disappointment of the year, lacking logic as well as chills. The sense of pointlessness and even distaste that it, it, it that is left at the end. It's ponderous, lackluster, elaborately ineffective, wrote Gary Arnold in the Washington Post. I mean, people panned it. Only two people die. One of natural causes, right? Um, <laughs> Kubrick says the whole idea of a ghost is always optimistic, isn't it? Recall that Jack Torrance is smiling in the final shot, the shining mm-hmm. ghosts are immortal. It's Stanley Kubrick's idea of a happy ending. Here's Kyle Smith's point. I thought this was brilliant. He said, like all great films, The Shining is built not so much to be watched as to be rewatched. That's a brilliant point. How it shook something deep in the cortex rather than relying mostly on cheap surprises of the kind that work only the first time you see them. And that is so very true. There are very few movies that I will will watch a second time. But you know, here's the thing: what the, we all know what they are. Yes, you. I will watch The Godfather no matter where I come in on it. <laughs> Godfather one and two, and I will watch The Shining no matter what. If it's yeah. on, I'll sit there and watch it. I don't care where it is in the. Yeah. In, and it's true. It there is something just bizarre about that movie. But I can remember seeing it in the theater. And thinking, what's so good about this? I, yeah. I, I, I agreed with these reviews. I thought it was kind of uh-huh. boring. So there's, there's the question we need to post out there on, on, on our sites is, what, what is the movie that you would watch if you, if you surf into it? What movies would you watch if you surf into it? There's the Shining, a lot of them. Yeah, Shining, Godfather 1 and 2. Um, um, wasn't it Kubrick that did uh, the bomb? How I learned to love the bomb, Doctor Strange Love. Oh, was just going to love? Yep. That was yep. Kubrick, wasn't it? Um, yep. And being, I'm going to go a little bit more mundane. Breakfast Club. Breakfast Club is on. I'll, I'll okay. watch the rest of the Breakfast Club. <laughs> and, and and I'll watch Being There. Being There with Peter Sellers, one of the greatest. It's probably my all-time favorite movie. That's Chauncey the Gardener. 
Yeah. Right. Everybody thinks he's so brilliant. Anyway, just, I thought that was a great point that the movie wasn't, it was made to be rewatched. Brilliant point. It isn't. Yeah, it is a brilliant point. Like that. Like that a lot. Awesome. All right. All right. I guess we're up against it again. I can't believe this is just flying by, but, uh, Folks, check out the soul of enterprise.com for full show notes. Please go out to iTunes and give us a rating. Um, we'll read it on the air, good, bad, or indifferent. If you do, we'd really like that. And now we want to hear from our sponsor and Ed's employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing Hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise all right here we are free writing on friday ron yes how much do you think an active user is worth active user Active user of what? Yeah, so that's the question, right? So an active user of what? Well, this is this is from our our friend Teen So, and okay. his his newsletter, his subscribed newsletter, and this is how much is an active user worth? Lessons from the sale of Fitbit, because I'm not sure you're aware of this, but but Google purchased Fitbit for two point one billion dollars. Wow. Yeah, which seems wow. That's a lot, and. They were criticized in the press for this. It doesn't seem like it makes much sense because Fitbit's been kind of losing. They they're, they're compared, compared to Apple, they're Apple. going down in terms of the number of subscriptions, all of this stuff. But here's the thing is that th- what they're really buying is not the technology platform because Google has a plethora of those, let's just say. But what they wanted was the 28 million active users who obviously care a lot about their health. Right. And Teen is saying that this 
is a really s- smart move by them. And the reason that he's basing this on is he does, you know, does the division, right? $2.1 billion, 28 million Fitbit, uh, Fitbit users. So that's roughly $75 per user mm-hmm. to Google. Mm-hmm. Last year, Netflix was buying new viewers for around $100 a pop. And shortly it's after its IPO, Blue Apron was paying close to $400 right. for a new user. So this $75 per just for the active user from a subscription standpoint was well worth it below the technology. Okay, so yet another feather in the cap of the subscription economy and the valuation of companies that get lots of subscribers because regardless of what even your product is, your product can be in disarray, dying ha- in a market where somebody else is coming in and, and making an enormous, pre- their presence felt, including a company called Apple. And yet it still makes sense for your company to be bought out by somebody like Google. You know, it, it puts front and center the whole cost of acquisition, doesn't it? Yep. I mean, that's a it sure does. Metric and valuation, <clears throat> and this just proves it. Wow, mm-hmm. I, I missed that. When did Google buy Fitbit? Uh, don't know the date on that. This this uh, was a newsletter that came out on November 9th, so be, before that, at some point. Okay, uh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad Teen's staying up on all this stuff. It's great. Oh, his, well, I got to tell you, his, his, his is one of the few newsletters that's in my, still in my inbox, not sent away and right. something that I, that I read pretty regularly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good stuff. Well, Ed, we got a, a email here from a listener who you got to meet in Australia. Courtney. Yes. 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 And she sent this back in November 3rd and I told her we'd handle it on a free rider Friday and she gave us permission to use her name, but she sent it recently. I've been wondering about the best progression for those in a pricing career being fairly new to the field myself and without it being a very established profession, especially here in Australia, it's hard to know what the path should look like, particularly regarding education and qualifications. I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on traditional education, university degree versus self-paced learning uh, by experience, what do you think are the essential education training activities someone in pricing should have? Um, and then I wrote to her to clarify, do you talk, are you talking about a career, say, in a, in a, in a company, or are you talking about like a self-employed pricing consultant? And it was the latter. She wants okay. to be a self-employed pricing consultant, but for large companies. So I told her, well, a university degree certainly isn't, it can't hurt, even if it's outside of the field, like if it's in psychology. And I think she did say she was, she was working on that. Um, and also I said, you know, get involved with professional pricing society, go ahead and get the CPP designation. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a good, good thing and go to their events and network with other pricers, you know, cause you get to meet people like Tim Smith and Mark Stiving and, you know, so some of these people we've had on our show, Bob Cross, uh, Reed Holden, uh, some of these other people. And uh, I told her, just keep reading, keep reading as much as you can about economics, behavioral economics, psychology, price psychology, just, you know, read as much as you can. So that was my advice. What would your advice be? Well, a couple thoughts on this. First is, and I think we've talked about this before, recognize that if you're listening to us, 
that we are outliers among outliers. I mean, if pricing is considered still to a certain degree an outlier in, in the corporate space, which it is, I mean, it's making inroads, don't get me wrong, it's, and it's making fantastic inroads, but it still doesn't have the quote chops, I'm scare quotes around this as traditional yep. marketing operations, that kind of stuff. Right. Sadly, even though it's the number one driver in profitability, but be that as it may. <laughs> But we are outliers among outliers, meaning even inside the professional pricing society, other than you and me, nobody much talks about pricing services. It's mostly product. And the vast, well, I don't want to say majority, a good number, a good number of them are pantometrists. They are really into their numbers. Yep. And, and, making everything work from a numbers standpoint, which I'm not saying that you don't involve finance in these conversations. I'm just saying that if you're just coming at this from a numbers perspective and think you can arrive at an optimal price by analysis, then in my opinion, you're doing it wrong. Yep. It goes back to what Rory was saying in alchemy about, you know, engineering can be rational, but there's no magic to it. Psychology can bring magic to things. Well, there's just tons of examples where, and I think Roy even talked about one, where doubling the price or increasing the price actually causes an increase in sales. Yep. Yep. And the, the, I mean, that goes back to what? That I think the first one that I heard about was the turtle wax. Right. Yes. Uh, it was another is, brand, but yeah, yeah, oh, no, it was a different yeah, brand, yeah. but it was it was a high end car wax that they had to put in a smaller container, sell less of, and double or triple the price. Yeah, they tripled it, I think, and it, it started flying off the shelf because hey, nobody wants to buy a can of fifteen dollar wax for their sixty thousand dollar BMW, you know, at the time. Yeah, fifty dollar yeah. wax. Yeah, give me some of that. Yeah, yeah, that's and gotta be there's, good. There's there's no analysis that's ever going to tell you that, and I think that's that is a, a challenge. The, the second thing I would say, and I know we only have two minutes left, and I just wanted to bounce this off of you, because you and I, this is just an observation that you and I have made. When we go in and have done some pricing engagements, one of our mantras on the sales side is how you sell is indicative of how you will solve. Right. But one of the really interesting things is that when you do pricing engagements is that how you price your engagement to the target company is an indicator of how you will help them price. Yes. And that's a, that's a whole nother level. It, it is. And you know, Ed, price is a story. I'm starting to believe that price is a story you tell about your company. It's, it's a narrative all by itself, even though it's a number. So, yeah. well, great question, Courtney. And thanks for that. And Ed, what do we have coming up for next week? Next week, Ron, we are doing our Scroogeonomics replay show. So that's the day after Thanksgiving. So look for it and why you shouldn't buy Christmas presents. Excellent. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the soul of enterprise business in the knowledge economy sponsored by Sage transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, check out our full show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. And you can send Ed or myself an email to ask tsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.